Hi, everybody. It's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome or welcome back to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. For us this morning, we're talking about the fact that true liberty has limitations. So the classic example is that it is not a valid exercise of freedom of speech to yell fire in a crowded room. A famous real-life example of this happened. Uh, it's known as the Italian Hall disaster. It happened on Christmas Eve of 1913 in Calumet, Michigan. There were over 400 people gathered on the second floor of this, this hall there in Calumet for a holiday party, and there were families gathered. It was a work-related event celebrating Christmas, and somewhere in the middle of that event, someone shouted, fire. And the only way up and down to that second floor was this one steep staircase. And there was a stampede of hundreds of people trying to, to get to safety, what they thought was safety, even though they were perfectly safe. And 73 people died in that stampede. 59 of them were, were children. So... When we exercise liberty, and I'm using air quotes there, when we exercise liberty in a way, and, and by the way, I mean, there were investigations done to try to figure out who was the one that shouted fire. That was never, never concluded. When we exercise liberty in a way that endangers other people, then we're not honoring what liberty really is, is uh, at least by God's definition. So, God is the one who invented both liberty and limitations. We see that all the way back to the garden. I mean, he said to the first man, you can eat from any tree in the, in the garden. So there's, there's tremendous liberty in that. And we can, we can imagine, like, what kind of trees were there? I mean, there's hundreds, maybe, maybe thousands of different kinds of trees, apple trees, orange trees, banana trees, pear trees. I mean, you, you have all of that to choose from, but God introduced one limitation. There's one tree for you not to eat from. God invented both of those, liberty and limitation. And so Paul, as we've been studying through the book of Romans, talks a lot about the liberty that we have as we discover what real life is intended to look like in Christ. In chapter six of, of Romans, Paul tells us that we are free from sin. Praise the Lord for that, that freedom. Chapter seven, he tells us we are free from law. So that, that means that you and I are free from the need to perform our way into God's favor. We, we are freed from having to follow rules that God himself has established because he knows that we are unable to keep them perfectly. I, I'm, I'm gonna harp on this for a moment here because I haven't done that in a while and I like to do that every now and then. In our culture, our American culture, our Bucks County culture, which is very performance driven. And so we 
breathe the air of feeling the need to have to perform our way up a, a, a ladder of success. We feel the need of having to perform our way into keeping our job. And it's, it's hard for us to really wrap our heads around the fact that God loves us unconditionally and completely apart from our performance. And that's what Paul tells us is we are free. We are freed from condemnation because we are, we are not able to keep his laws perfectly. And so we're freed from that pressure. We are freed to, to live in Christ, to really live. That's captured again in our key verse of Romans, which says the one who by faith is, it just shall live, shall live shall live for eternity with God, thank the Lord for that, but shall live now, like we're figuring out what does it look like to live as God intended, even in the midst of this, this broken world. So there's all of this freedom, and alongside of that freedom, we find, comes a limitation that we're gonna talk about today. What is that limitation, and why is it there? That's what we're gonna see this morning as we look at Romans chapter 14. If you would turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one on the seat near you, and Romans 14 is on page 1051. If you were not with us last week, we started in Romans 14, and we talked a lot about our personal convictions and how we each have convictions that differ from the, the people around us. Some people have a lot of convictions, some people have a lot of scruples, a lot of things that they feel like they shouldn't be doing, other people not as, as many. And Andrea referred to this earlier, what the, the takeaway from last week is that we are not to enforce our personal convictions on others as though they were God's commands. Today we're gonna to talk about not flaunting our freedom in the areas that we feel free to, to live before God in a way that is spiritually damaging to others around us who may not see it the same way that we do. So, we're talking a lot about limitations here this morning and I know there might be a few people who are jittery uh, because of that, because, you know, I mean, we, we live in America and like we, you know, we value our freedoms. I know that. I'm reminded of that every time uh, we drive down to uh, the heart of Virginia, where two of my kids are in, in school down there, and we see all the flags that are, you know, don't tread on me, and we see the bumper stickers and all of that. So, so let me do something that I don't normally do, and that is I'm going to give you the bottom line of what we're talking about today, because that'll probably bring your anxiety level down if it was getting up at all. And here, here's the, the takeaway for today. It is love that limits our, our liberty. So as we're talking about the limitations on our liberty, it's love that limits our liberty. And we'll, we'll flesh that out and explain what that means and where it comes from. We're gonna do something else different than we normally do, and that is we're gonna start at the end of our passage here today because there's a principle there that captures really the whole idea of what we're talking about. So it's kind of good to end with that or to start with that so we see where we're, we're headed. All right, so we're gonna go to verse 23 of chapter 14, which says, whoever has doubts 
is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. And here's the principle, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So this is a much broader statement than a statement that we might make that is still true, that we sin when we disobey something that God has commanded us. That that is true, but this is broader than that, and this speaks to the personal nature of these scruples and convictions that we've been talking about. Whatever we do that does not proceed from faith is sin. There's a personal nature to our our sin. And so, it's kind of like Paul is asking the question, um, what does your faith in the Lord allow you to do? And, and one easy way, easy to remember way to capture this idea is when, when in doubt, do without. I'm gonna credit Sharon Sloan with that, that little nugget right there. When in doubt, do, do without. And Paul in this verse is highlighting again this whole topic of eating. So if you missed last week, let me, let me recap that very, very briefly. Remember that the church in Rome is made up of a mixture of Jewish background believers and Gentile believers who have, are not even familiar with the dietary laws that Jews would, would be under. And so on the Jewish side, there's, there's this long-standing mentality and psyche of like there are certain foods that we must not eat. That, that comes from the law that God gave in the first five books of, of the Old Testament. And so Jesus comes along and he speaks a new word into that. Mark chapter seven records this. Jesus said, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since that food enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? And thus Jesus declared all foods clean. Now, before we move on from this, I just wanna highlight the fact, it's really important that we understand that Jesus is not just kind of casually and arbitrarily setting aside a law that God gave. Jesus himself fulfilled the law. And so because he fulfilled the law, we no longer are under the law because he fulfilled the law and then his, and gave his perfect life as a sacrifice his perfect record is credited to our very imperfect record, and he says you're freed from having to obey that law. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, 17, he said, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So that kind of deals with the, the Jewish end of things on the law. On the Gentile side, we talked last week about the fact that There are potential issues for some people related to meat sacrificed to idols. So in that culture, if you you lived in Rome, you you wouldn't travel very far before you encountered a pagan temple. There were uh, um, temples to pagan gods all over the city. And so as part of the worship of those idols, They would bring an animal that would be sacrificed. A portion of that would stay there in the temple. And then a lot of that meat, most of that meat, would go to the local market. And so as people are coming to buy meat to take home and eat, they're walking in there and they don't know what meat has been offered to an idol or not. And so some people would say, I'm not gonna eat any of it because I don't know 
you know, what was offered to an idol, and I remember what that was like, and I don't want to have anything to do with any of that, that pagan idolatry. And so Paul says it would be okay for you to eat that, but it's understandable if you choose not to. Paul talks about this very specifically in 1 Corinthians 8. He says, therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God, and, and here's the principle that he's getting at. We're no worse off if we do not eat, no better off if we do, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So whether it's eating or, or alcohol or you know, a host of other, other issues, there's a huge potential for contention in a community of faith, in a community of, of Christ followers who hold to different definitions of what is right and wrong. There's a huge potential for contention there. Now, there are absolutes. Everything is not relative. There are absolutes that we all need to agree on. If we're actually following Christ, there are absolutes. And those are captured really well. I was reading this week, and I thought this guy stated this really well. Those are captured really well in the historic creeds. And that's why we read one of those this morning. The historic creeds were created to boil down some of the complexities of Scripture to kind of the, the I don't want to say lowest common denominator, but the essentials. They're the essentials of what, if you're going to be a Christ follower, this is what you need to, to believe. Those creeds were developed to help people, followers of Christ, to, to grow in their faith, to know this is the essential teaching of, of the Scripture, to be concise, to be memorable. And they were also developed to counter false teaching. So one example would be false teaching about Jesus, that Jesus was not fully God. There, there are people that still teach that today, that Jesus is not actually God. There are those who teach contrary and especially taught back in the time of, of, that Scripture was written that Jesus was not fully human, that actually he was, he was God in spirit, but he never really took on a body, and therefore his death really wasn't, uh, it wasn't a real death. And so there, the, the creeds, which we'll, we'll put that up on, on the screen here again, the creeds were written to concisely capture these, these are the truths of Scripture and to counter the false teaching. And so outside of the creeds, there, there's a lot of gray area. And there are a lot of issues that we can disagree on and still be a follower of Jesus. And so last week, we looked at how to think about those differences amongst ourselves. And, and we said the bottom line is don't, don't judge each other. And I gave you the technical term to apply, nanya. You know, it's nanya business. So if it's outside of these essentials, then we say that's between you and the Lord. Today we're gonna to talk about how do we treat each other in, in the midst of those differences in a way that builds each other up and doesn't tear each other down. So with all of that, now we're gonna go back to the beginning of our passage, verse 13. 
Therefore, do let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Okay, before we, we go on, I have to point something out here that's kind of fun, and this shows Paul's sense of humor. I hope you know that he has a sense of humor. We can't see this in, in the Greek, but uh, the King James actually captures this. There's a repeated word here. Let us not therefore judge one another any anymore, uh, but, but judge this, rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So if you're reading the the ESV with me, then the second time that word gets translated as decide, decide never to put a stumbling block or, or a hindrance. But the word is actually the same word in, in the Greek, don't judge. So you've heard of uh, eat this, not that. Maybe you've heard of that book. So this is Paul saying, judge this, not that. He's saying, don't judge the other person for what they're doing. Judge yourself and your own actions in a way that you're not putting a stumbling block, you're not making someone else's spiritual life difficult by doing something and engaging in a liberty that they don't feel that, that they have. He says, um, don't put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. That word hindrance in, in the Greek calls up a word picture of a snare. So if, if any of you are hunters and you put out traps, for, for cute furry animals that are running through the forest. If you put out a trap for, for them, Paul is saying, and there's, there's no judgment, okay? If you, no, we're not, we're not judging here. All right, but he's saying don't put a trap out for, for someone who doesn't have the discernment to recognize it and, and to avoid it. Be, be careful, judge yourself, be careful about the way you conduct your, yourself. And then he talks about now, uh, eating, again, okay, verse 14. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. And, and here is where we see the scripture that explains our limitation. Love, love, limits, our liberty. He, he says, if your brother's grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. And that's what we're called to. If you've been here over the last month or so, we've seen in Romans chapter 12 and 13 that love is a primary, maybe the primary evidence of a transformed life. Romans 1 to 11 talks primarily about what we believe about God, sin, ourselves, forgiveness. And then we get to chapter 12 and we start talking about what does our behavior look like? What does a transformed life looks like, look like? And love is the, the essential for, for that transformation. And so when it comes to living out freedom from the law, love actually becomes more important than living out our liberty if it's causing a problem for someone around us. One commentator I read uh, named Michael Bird says, there's more at stake here than steak. More at stake than, than steak. Last week, uh, I talked about friends that I have who have a conviction that they are not to drink any alcohol. 
So when we have those friends over for dinner, out of consideration for them, we're not bringing any kind of alcohol out. We're not asking them. That would be crazy, like asking them, because we already know, like, you know, would you like some? And, and we're not having it in front of them. We're, and, and this would be particularly an issue if you're, if you're having dinner with someone who has a history of abusing alcohol. You know, they're working really hard to overcome that. Maybe they're, they're going to AA meetings and they're working with people and they're, 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 they've been sober for a long time and then you bring out alcohol and put it in front of them and offer it to them. I mean, just have lemonade, you know, for crying out loud. So just you set aside your, your liberty for that. Another example, uh, I, I called, uh, or I texted, actually, Rabbi Aaron from uh, down the street here at Congregation Brothers of Israel. We have a friendship uh, over the last number of years, and I've been wanting to reach out to him and ask him how he and his congregation are doing with all that's happening in Israel. And so we, get, we have lunch together from time to time. I'm not sure if that's what we're gonna do this week. We're gonna get caught up here this week. But if I'm having lunch with Rabbi Aaron, he, he is strictly observant of, of kosher food. And so if I have lunch, I'm not going to order a pulled pork sandwich you know, in front of him. I just, I don't need to. I can find something else. Now I could, I, I could order one and let it kind of waft over there and just say, this is freedom, freedom in Christ. See, this is what we can experience. But anyway, I wanna shine my light for, for Christ in a different way, okay, for him. And I, don't, I wanna cause a, a problem uh, for him. So I can choose to do something else that I know will not be offensive for him. Verse, verse 15, the second half there says, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So destroy there is not talking about that you have the power to condemn them for eternity. Okay? It, it's talking about the fact that don't, don't destroy what God is doing in, in their life. Don't make it difficult for them. Don't, in a, in a sense, set up a temptation for them that might be a, a sin, sinful act on their part because that hinders their relationship with God. So just stay away from that. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of other food to eat and ways, things, choices that, that we have. Instead, verse 16 do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Let's clarify here, because this sounds at first glance like a little bit contradictory. Don't let what you regard as good. If good, we're talking about the fact that um, I have the freedom to, to eat anything. I, I judge pulled pork is just, just fine, so I don't want anybody saying anything bad about that. That's not, that's not what this is referring to. The good here is the liberty that we have in Christ, and we don't want that to be spoken of in a negative way just because we're misusing that liberty. That's what, that's what this is saying. Don't let what you regard as good, that liberty, be spoken of as evil just because you're misusing it in an insensitive way to cause problems for somebody else. And now Paul steps back and says, let's, let's remember the big picture here. Let, let's, let's get perspective on this. In verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace 
and joy in the Holy Spirit. He says it's not, it's not about these material things, these temporary things. It's about, it's about virtues. It's about holiness. It's about being right before God. It's not eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. One author that I read this week said that last verse there, verse 17, he said, I wish that that would be read at the beginning of every church leadership meeting. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Now, I will say I'm very thankful to be in a church where our, our leadership meetings are typically characterized this way. So I, I don't feel like we need to remind ourselves of that. But I will also commend this to you, um, even for your, like if you have a family sit-down conversation, a, fa- a family meeting about something, maybe something is running amok, you know, with your kids and you just need to sit them down and talk about that. We, we had those kinds of chats uh, when my kids were at, at home and we started off calling them family meetings and then every time I was like, it's time for a family meeting, then they would groan, you know, and just like, oh, this is awful and we hate these and, you know, can we do something else? So I said, okay, meetings, I understand a lot of people don't like meetings. We're going to call it a chat. Okay, fa- we're sitting down. We need to have a family chat. And from that point on, our kids loved it and they were just like, let's, no, that's not really true. But anyway, it didn't really help. But we, we, I said, let's have, a, let's have a chat about this. Now, this would be a great verse to read at the beginning of that. Let's pursue, we're here to pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding, okay? That, that's a good way to frame that. All right, Paul knows that it, all of this is tough to sink in. So now he's gonna say the same thing again using different words, okay, starting in verse 20. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. F.F. Bruce says that Paul was prepared to forego his liberty if by insisting on it, he would set a harmful example to a fellow Christian with a weaker conscience. Okay, this, my friends, this, this is Christian maturity. Okay, this is what love looks like. Christ, spiritual immaturity gets really excited when they find out that they have freedom. And they say, wow, okay, I want to exercise my freedom, and I think everybody else should too. And they're trying to, like, you know, get everybody to do that. That's, that's immaturity. Spiritual maturity says, um, actually, so spiritual immaturity says all things are lawful. Like, everything is, is permissible. Spiritual maturity says, yeah, all things are lawful. All these foods are permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything is beneficial. Sherry, uh, the other day, went to the grocery store, and she knows that I love apple cider donuts. I mean, this time of year, just so much good stuff. And so she brought home this package of apple cider donuts. Now, I could sit in one sitting and glass of milk, and I could knock those out. And, I mean, so good. That, that's permissible. That's lawful for me. It's not, it's not beneficial. And so... I need to restrain myself, not everything that's lawful. And, and so that's, that applies to us individually. That also applies for the people around us. 
to something maybe lawful for me to do, but if it's not beneficial for the people around us, then I, I wanna restrain myself. I wanna limit my, my liberty. Verse 22, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Okay, let that sink in for a moment. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. This is what frees us from the tendency that we have to criticize someone who is stricter than we are or looser than, than we are. It's, it's, it's not our, our business. It's between them and the Lord. And then the second half of that verse, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Don't, don't turn what is good, the freedom that is good, in, into a call to judge yourself by your insensitivity towards other people. And now we hit verse 23. We're back where we started. And before we read this again, I'll just tell you that, that N.T. Wright points out that this verse is probably here more for the person who exercises their liberty as, as a warning of what's at stake. So he says, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So we might, we might uh, dig into that and say, so person who feels you have a lot of liberty and a lot of freedom, be willing to limit your liberty for the sake of someone else because you don't want to be any part of, of causing them or contributing to them to sin. Love limits our liberty. What does it look like to love someone who seems like their conscience is stricter than it needs to be? Well, let, let me give you three, three thoughts on that as we close. Uh, first of all, respect their differences. Respect the fact that we each have a different background. Some of us um, you know, grew up with certain rules that are hard for us to let go of. Some of us have experiences in our past where we say, I've just got to avoid this whole area because it brings back memories of, of sin in, in my past. It's, it's not your job to change someone else's convictions or to change their heart, okay? Just take that off of your to-do list. You've got enough to do, okay? It's not your job to change them. Just respect that there are or differences, and then limit your liberty. That's what we've been talking about. Rather than flaunting your freedom, limit your liberty. This is the way of love. And then point them to, to grace. Where there is openness on, on the part of someone that you're, you're living with, talking with, growing with, where there's openness, you can point them to scriptures that would show them that there's freedom in an area where they're maybe not feeling that, that freedom. And, and use scripture to do that, okay? Don't, don't just share your experience. Take them to scriptures that show them, here's the, here's the freedom. You could go to, to, to Romans 6, Romans 7, that talk all about how we've been set free from, from so many things. Let, let scripture be the, the thing that transforms their mind. We, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, and our minds get renewed as they start to think more like Scripture. And so Psalm 119.45 expresses this really well. I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. 
So as we seek God's commands, as we un- come to understand more and more of what God says is right and wrong, we come to understand more and more that liberty, that, that any tree that we can eat from, all of that freedom that he has provided for us that comes through an understanding, better understanding of his word. So several months back, we talked about tensions that are unresolvable. And, and maybe you remember we, we brought up a, a violin and we said, you know, a violin string that's not in tension is not able to, to do anything or perform the way it was intended to. And so, and we talked about the Golden Gate Bridge, you know, cables there. If they're not in tension, then anybody on the bridge is in trouble because, because it needs to be held up by that tension. This is one of those areas of tension that we're, we're talking about here today. And so Martin Luther expressed this really well. He said, a Christian man is a most free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian man is a most dutiful servant of all, subject to all. And so the challenge of learning how to live out the the freedom of Romans 14 within the boundaries of limitations that are put on us by love, that's, that's the, the challenge of figuring out what does it mean to be subject to none and yet subject to, to all. It is love that limits our liberty. We'll close with a little poem here from Ernie Casper that captures this. It says, he called me out of my selfish life and brought me to a place of unending grace, a sweet embrace of his loving peace despite my strife. He paid the price with outstretched arms, silenced all my alarms, brought me unending love as gentle as a dove, and while the world was crying, he was dying to meet you and me to set us free. As we walk in freedom, let's give the freedom to the people around us to walk in freedom as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the the work that you have done, and we will praise you for this for eternity, the work that you have done to free us from having to perform for you to come into your favor. Thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice that, that you made. And so now as we walk in freedom, Lord, may we walk in love towards those around us who may not have entered into as much freedom as we have. Lord, may we be willing to to limit our liberty for the sake of seeing someone else walk closer with you and not have their their faith shaken or, or questioned. Lord, give us strength to do that. Give us wisdom to do that. Give us wisdom to walk this path. The the path of following you is not always easy. You you make it fully accessible to us, but there are also challenges along the way to discern. So Lord, we wanna draw close to you. We wanna spend time listening to your voice through your word so that our minds, our lives can be transformed to think more like you and to love more like you. And we pray for that grace in Jesus' name. Amen.